Welcome to Sheer Clarity, the show that will teach you about leadership by attraction, building self-awareness, and how to develop exceptional self-management abilities that will help you become more reflective, more open, more trusting, and more engaging with the people who matter to you most. In other words, make you a better leader. Head on over to SheerClarity.com where you can learn more, subscribe to the show, and connect on social media. And now, here's your host, Jay Kevin McHugh. Hey, everyone. Jay Kevin McHugh, your host for Sheer Clarity, coming to you with another awesome podcast episode. Today, we're going to talk about personality, my favorite topic. I have been doing personality surveys in my work as a guy who's hiring people somewhere beginning in 19... 80 plus, and I've never stopped. I've used multiple different versions of it. I use it today, every day. I have a particular orientation to it when it comes to using it in our podcast for sheer clarity, because we're going to talk about using it for your self-awareness, if you will. Most people are familiar with it as a hiring tool. Occasionally, you'll see it in some team building, but today's episode is all about the personality inventories and assessments, and how you should really be using those for yourself to enlarge your understanding of yourself and your self-awareness. So I want to talk about what it is and how to use it and how to get better so you can be a great leader because you're self-aware. I am aware also of another self at the other end of the microphone with an awesome personality. His name is Matthew Passy. He is my producer. Welcome today, Matthew. It is great to be here. So if you've been assessing personalities in the form of job interviews and things like that, I imagine you focus in a lot on that first impression. And so I'm kind of curious what your first impression was of our first conversation, which in full disclosure didn't happen as planned. I wound up being at the dealership uh, having my car serviced. And so uh, I remember... <laughs> I remember yes. you, uh, you know, maybe getting a chuckle or two out of that. My first impression was don't ever do a client call, your first call, while you're getting your car fixed. And I think I told you that. We had a moment of feedback. Do you remember? Yeah. And uh, yeah. But it didn't matter because your personality at the beginning was actually engaging. In other words, you were like clear-headed, clear-minded. You were able to be articulate even with the sound of the air gun removing lug nuts from your wheels. <laughs> Every uh, so often I would hear your voice and it sounded, wow, that guy's pretty smart. <laughs> good. I'm glad I'm glad the good parts came through. <laughs> it, it, was, yeah, it was the good part that came through. <laughs> Yeah, personality. Oh my God. It's so important. And I'll tell you, in the in the world of work where I've been, this stuff has been around for a long, long, long time. I don't know if we're gonna get it all done in one episode. Maybe it's two. I remember when I first did it, the actual instrument was a paper and a pencil, two pages, somewhere in the neighborhood of a hundred and some odd descriptive adjectives, and you took out a pencil and you check the words that you thought described your behavior. And then the scorer would take that sheet and they'd take this big metal plate, put it over top, so all you could see was the X's and the metal plate had little colors that represented the four constructs. And you would start counting the number of check marks 
in each of those categories. You would transfer those to another sheet and you take a ruler and you draw a line and you made a graph. And then you had to be trained for like three or four days on what each of those constructs meant. One was dominance, one was influence, one was uh, steadiness, the other was compliance, all of which made up the DISC system. So fast forward today, there are a million versions of it. They're all using the same kind of engine, but what's changed is the amount of automation, the speed at which it's done using an online assessment, and the quality of the report writing because anyone who can read the chart doesn't need a written report, but we can't train everybody in the world about how to read bell curves and charts and percentiles and ranges and everything else. So we need something people can use. And so I'm actually using a product called TTI, which stands for Target Training International. I've been using it for quite a while. And I love it because they've done all the validity studies. They're always uh, sort of looking at their norms, making sure that they're measuring what they purport to measure. They've attacked anything that's in there with inherent bias and gotten it out of there. And the best part is the report is something my client can put in their hands and 45 pages that is just well-constructed, well-written, and it's written in many, many different formats, uh, lists of how to motivate people based on the data, lists on how to communicate with those people based on the data. So it's generally speaking, extremely accurate, extremely effective stuff, and it takes 15, 20 minutes. The most common reaction I have to clients when they take it for the first time, they go, how did you get 45 pages out of a 15-minute survey? And actually, I should send one to you. I, I think we'll do that. I was just thinking about, you know, I'd be curious to see what that yeah. looks like. I'm also always curious about the accuracy of these, not because the science behind it is invalid or because the way it's, you know, presented and done. Like, I know there's a lot of research into these and, and they do a good job, but, you know, you're relying on somebody to still self-assess. And, you know, we know that there can be tweaks. There can be changes that happen when we're telling about ourselves, our own personality, versus if somebody else is just looking as a third-party observer. If you're thinking in terms of, is it possible that somebody is going to do an inaccurate self-assessment, they're going to have one motive is, I'm trying to game the system, and I want to like make myself sound better, because guess what? That usually shows up. Sometimes the report will spit out a warning. There's a conflict response. They've tried to be Superman or Superwoman or everything. So that sometimes you can do that. You got to think in terms of probabilities. How many out of a percentage of hundreds of thousands of these you might do over a 10-year period across the country, across the world? How many people are that disingenuous that are going to try to fake it? Very small. Like so small that you shouldn't worry about it. Does, but, can it happen once in a while? Sure. But it's not even faking it necessarily, because I understand there's that as well. People who want to you know, put out a, a good face because they think it it's going to impact the way that they are treated by their supervisors, bosses, companies, whoever. But just when it comes to taking an assessment, taking a survey, you just might not react the same way as you would if you didn't realize that you were being surveyed. If you didn't realize you were being assessed. In a very good quality design, that is eliminated mostly okay. because you can't, yeah, it's designed in our instrument. We're just using simple words and they're just dragged into an order of priority. 
and you're reacting to the word, you basically need a high school vocabulary to have the word have an accurate meaning to you, which is generally accepted from a dictionary. And so you're only reacting to a single word. And it's most like you, least like you. And in that self-assessment, what's happening is where actually the words themselves represent a stimuli to you. I'll give you an example, and then we're getting off topic. We're getting down into the weeds, but it's kind of fun. Let's do the weeds for a minute. One of the great measures in this disc profile is dominance. I say it's great measure because dominance determines a lot. And if it's basically the measure to which somebody needs autonomy and being in control of their circumstances, right? So when it's highly present, the behavior is highly autonomous, which usually shows up as confident, self-assured, you know, assertive, et cetera, very directive, very decisive, risk-oriented. And when the extent of its presence is actually low and it's not very present, then you have people who are far more confrontation adverse and people who are more accommodating in their style. They're more laid back, they're low key, they're waiting for others, they're supporting. And there's neither a good or a bad about either of those. It just is what it is. But what happens when you're actually measuring that in somebody, the thing that makes a difference between those two ends of the spectrum is usually shows up in a number of different words. One of my favorites is the word egotistical. So if you're checking words that are most like you or least like you, egotistical. Yeah. Where are you putting it? Mm, less like me. Okay. I love the word. Yeah. Yeah. Check it. <laughs> <laughs> of course. So what's happening is if the listeners could have seen your face, the man, it would have been perfect. You didn't even have to answer the question. It's like, no. Dirty word. I'm a nice guy. Anyway, what you're actually doing is you're actually having a response. It's a negative or positive response. It's sort of bifurcated, right? And so there's a whole bunch of words in there that are designed around the dominance construct. And so as those words show up in the report that you're checking, you might see egotistical, decisive, assertive, supportive, accommodating, cooperative, and all, right? And you're responding to the words that resonate with you in a positive way, not a distasteful way. And actually, when you take a look at the science, we're actually determining the presence of your construct by your aversion to the words, or actually the negatives that you reply to are going to tell us more about your personality than the positives. So it's like Brussels sprouts. Very few people are in the middle of the road on Brussels sprouts. They either hate Brussels sprouts or they love Brussels sprouts. True. And so having that quick reaction over the course of an instrument that takes you 15 or 20 minutes, you don't have a whole lot of time to overthink it. We're kind of getting at the core. We're kind of getting at the wiring harness, the, that first reaction. And after all the years I'm doing it, when it's a good instrument, it consistently measures your personality over time. 
what people need to know, I mean, personality is a combination of a couple of things. It's the thought patterns you have. It's the way your brain is talking to you. It's your emotional patterns and the way your emotions are bubbling and moving. And it's also your behaviors, like what do you actually do? And you put them all together, right? And they're all interacting in some unique way called Matthew's personality. And we know that it's basically two things. One is genetics. There are components of personality which can't be explained any other way than it's just the way we came out. Add to that early growth environment and all the different things that are part of your growth environment, whether you're male or female, whether you're firstborn or a lastborn, a middle child, an onlyborn, whether your parents were really a good marriage in harmony or whether it was a really tough marriage, whether your parents were both together or raised by a single parent. You got all this stuff and all this life stuff combined with some genetic predisposition, but by the time you're in your mid-20s, most of that stuff about who you're going to be and what your natural personality is has solidified. And longitudinal studies have shown it since the 60s. And so it becomes very useful if your core personality hardwiring system, a set of behavioral preferences, becomes fixed by our mid-20s. Once we know what it is, we can use it to predict a whole bunch of stuff about the way you behave. And it's going to be the same at 30, the same at 35, the same at 40 or 50. And I've done it a million times. I've just finished work with a client. They did this instrument in 2012 or 13. We had a new session. We had some new people. I volunteered to do everyone's over again because they're seven years old. And when I laid out this five or six people who had done them six years ago, their profile of their natural behaviors was exactly the same as it was six years ago. It just proved the case. That doesn't change. What does change, what's essential to know, is that your behavioral approach to yourself is what changes. What you're doing with your personality at 25 even though the personality is the same, your behavior is not the same at 35 or 45. You have experience, you have wisdom, you have learning, you have, you have more self-control. That's part of what our podcast is, right? We're trying to get people, you know, like totally self-aware so they can self-manage. But the actual instrument shows that your personality doesn't change that much over time. That's why you need to know what it is. It's good objective data, and we be very, very careful to make absolutely sure we tell people we are not making a value judgment about one profile over another. There's just no good or bad, right or wrong, better than, worse than, independently of job circumstances. Take a personality, give it what it is. It's just one way of operating in the world, and what we know for sure is that there are great attributes to it and there are attributes to it which probably are less attractive. It's almost yin-yang kind of stuff. It's, you remember Star Wars, you know, the dark side? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's the human, right? You got, so I tell people this age old sort of saying, you know, your strength is also your weakness. 
you know, if I take this that dominant measurement we were talking about later, I'm sure people have figured out by now I probably score pretty high on that. Otherwise, I'm not an independent consultant. I couldn't keep a job. My autonomy needs were so high that I was always telling the boss what he needed to do or didn't need to do. And the point of the story was eventually I need to be the boss. I'm driven and motivated in that way. And without a lot of money, you know, you can't buy a, a business in a brick and mortar. I opened up my shop and I became a consultant working on sales management. Sales. But what drove me here is that I had this high autonomy need. The nature of my prior jobs was such that I didn't have a real good, strong alpha leader who knew how to handle like a six-month-old combination of Rottweiler and Golden Retriever. I could have used a couple of newspapers across the nose. I didn't get them. So I eventually migrated to where I am now, which is free, free to roam. And that's how I'm wired. The problem is, as good as this is for my confidence, as good as it is because I can solve problems, I can get things done, as good as it was that it drove me to success, I always like posting good numbers on the board, making my sales forecast. When I was really young, one of my bosses, who was a good boss, knew about this part of me, and he would literally challenge me like this little young bull in the ring. He'd wave the red flag and he would say, you really can't do 20 units of X next month. There's no way. No one's ever done 20 units in a month. And you know what? He got me so wound up, I was going to do 25 and I'm going to shove him, you know where, <laughs> here. <laughs> like, played me like a fiddle. Played me like a fiddle. But this dominance thing, not so healthy when I'm not in control. I don't play well with others. I can be ugh, so terribly impatient. Anybody who knows me who's listening to this podcast is going to know this. I got called out. I mean, I'm 60-some plus years old. I'm pretty uh, with it, right? I got a lot on the ball. I've learned a lot. I, I know a lot. I feel young. I'm hip. I play video games with my 12-year-old, and, you know, I can beat him most of the time. <laughs> and it's like, okay. And still, within two weeks ago, I had a couple of my good colleagues, trusted friends as board members on a board of a, a big company, just call me out in a meeting. Told me to calm down. <laughs> I was sending body language of impatience. I mean, there are other people in the room who needed to learn a little bit slower, a little bit more detail around certain numbers. And I was like, I'd already moved on. That's all a function of my hard wiring. And I didn't have it under control that day. I just didn't. Now, because of who I am, they know who I am, and we've talked about it. They felt free to call me out. Didn't didn't end our relationship. I was embarrassed. I had to make a public apology, said, you're right. I'm doing it again. Thank you for the gift of feedback, right? All of that's predictable. And I, if I take my profile and I see the same one every time I'm coaching somebody, I can make a joke. We can talk in the first 20 seconds. I go, so uh, so how long is your attention span for this meeting we're having right now? <laughs> I, I cut to the chase. I feel like I'm blathering. Help me come back to point here because there's so much on this well, I mean, topic. I mean, I think you've done, you know, the relationship of what personality assessments look like and how you saw it in yourself. The question now becomes for other leaders out there who are thinking about their assessments or, you know, putting assessments on their subordinates, their team, whatever. How do you then use that information once you have it to improve the dynamic? Yeah. Well, I will tell you, I would say the first thing that has to happen is 
if you're an executive right now and you've probably done these multiple times in your career and you heard what they said, my first question to you, have you really actually taken it, wrapped your head around it, embraced it, absorbed it, sat with it and like eat it in small bites so it's really like deep embedded in who you are because you need to know your stuff. It's very frequent, you know, when I do these, an executive will tell me when we're having a feedback about it, the reaction that the spouse had. They showed it to their uh, their partner in crime and their partner in crime just kept reading it going, oh yeah, that too. Uh-huh. Yes, this is brilliant. Oh my God. I hope you didn't pay for this because I could have written it for them. I mean- and they regret actually having ever showed it to them, right? Because it just confirms the accuracy of it. But if you have one of these profiles in your desk somewhere, in your folder, in a file, and you haven't looked at it recently, get it out, open it up, and read it page by page, note by note, letter by letter, and make a set of notes How in tune am I with the truth of my natural style? And how has it actually created problems? Because that's where the gold is. Practically speaking, you've done it forever and ever and ever, and you've got 10 of them in your desk, but I'm telling you, most people have not looked at them. You should keep it on your desk for about six months, sitting in the corner, right up there where you can see it and look at it. Stay in tune, stay in tune, stay in tune. This is your self-awareness model telling you how you roll. Pick two or three things and work on them. Second thing to do is you got to lead with your vulnerability. If you've got stuff that shows up as part of your behavioral profile and pattern, which you know is troublesome, and if you have a profile, there's stuff on it that's troublesome. Remember I said there's no good one or bad one? Mm -hmm. Every profile's got problems. Every single one. You need to be able to look at them and know what they are identify them. And then if you really got courage, you want to do this well, show that profile to anyone you're going to work with, bring it to a meeting, bring it out or memorize it so you can say it verbally and say, hey, before we begin, I want to tell you a couple of things I'm always being conscious of. I've learned this about myself. I get impatient. I start wanting to move too fast. And sometimes I'll send body language and signals that I'm getting impatient. If that's happening, I'm going to try and stop it myself. If I don't do it soon enough and you see it or it starts to turn you off or makes you feel uncomfortable, do me a favor, raise your hand. Just raise your hand a little bit so we don't have to make a you know big deal about it. I promise I'll catch the signal. I actually lead that way. I will go in and tell people that when I run a meeting, this is what it feels like and what it looks like. The good news is it stays on track and it goes really fast and we're never late and we don't let people ramble and we don't get stuck in the weeds. It's awesome. At the same time, people are going to feel under pressure. I'm impatient. I'm cutting people off and I may end up doing that when I should have let it go. So I'm authorizing. You're all deputized. Here, put on your little deputy badge to control the big guy who's losing his mind with how slow things are going. That's part two called leading with your vulnerability. And then part three is, is you actually can get people in a room with it and everybody looks at it and then start sharing it. And you share it by asking people to pick out two things that are incredibly strong, useful, powerful, successful 
characteristics and tell us why they're so good. And then after you've done that, tell us why they're not so good. And do that as a team building exercise. Guarantee you will set a new level of discourse with a group. And as people get to work with these in cultures that care about it, people will know their disc profiles. They'll know who they're talking to. They'll use disc language when they're speaking. There comes Teresa's high D again. Anyway, I feel we could have done another episode. There's more nuance to this. I've got some great stories about it. Well, why don't we do this? You talked about, you know, giving me a personality assessment. Why don't we do that? Why don't I take one? And between now and the next episode, you'll assess, review, and on the next episode, we'll actually reveal those results. Perfection. And we'll we'll reveal them as part of, you know, an exercise and a display on how to, you know, work with those results. Bingo. Um, I'll send you mine. So if you're listening to this episode, you're definitely going to want to go to the show notes and you're definitely going to come back next week because next week you'll hear the results of my personality assessment. We will share a link to Kevin's in the show notes for next week. So, you know, if you're on the fence here, which you shouldn't be, but if you're on the fence, you definitely want to come back next week so you can see the results of these personality assessments here on Sheer Clarity. In the meantime, thank you for joining us this week on the show. Head over to SheerClarity.com. Again, show notes with links and all sorts of cool resources that will help you become the consummate leader by attraction. All of that happening at SheerClarity.com. He's Jay Kevin McHugh. I'm Matthew Passy, and we will see you next week on Sheer Clarity. Sheer Clarity.